0: Hello, this is Brad Schwartz, professor and chairman of Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. On behalf of Richard Wolf Medical, the Endourological Society, and the Journal of Endourology, I would like to welcome you to the latest release in our podcast series. Each month, we will be presenting a current events topic of interest to our listeners. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Endourology Podcast. Uh, Dr. Schwartz here and uh, welcoming Dr. Uh, Janak Desai, uh, a world expert in stone disease. Uh, he is the consultant urologist at Samved Hospital in Ahmedabad, India. Dr. Desai, welcome and, and thank you so much for your expertise and your time today.
1: Thank you very much, Dr. Schwartz. Uh, I'm sure we are going to do some, some good interaction today. So uh, just very initially
0: and and somewhat briefly, Dr. Desai, tell us how you got into the Ultra Mini Perk and what motivated your your interest in this topic.
1: So we were doing a lot of perks. Uh, India is a country where there are a lot of stones and we would do at one point of time almost five perks a day. And I realized that it was undoubtedly lesser invasive than the open surgery, which we used to do way back 30, 35 years ago. But it was still sometimes uh, it ended up with bleeding. There was uh, there was trauma to the renal parenchyma, and we thought that if we could if we could reduce this bleeding, it would be worthwhile achieving that. To cut the long story short, uh, over the years uh, we realized that when we would dilate. Fully, which which means 30 French, uh, there is bound to be more onslaught on the parenchyma, which leads to bleeding. And if the dilation can be reduced, uh, the onslaught reduces and the bleeding reduces. All that was required was smaller size instruments, which could give better vision and the game changed when lasers came in because you had to break the stone with those ultrasonic devices and the electro-hydraulic devices uh, to break, uh, uh, to, to go into a very small miniaturized system was not possible. So it was uh, the advent of lasers which really made this miniaturization possible. And uh, in 2009 actually I chanced upon meeting uh, German manufacturer Mr. Scholey who Happened to be in Ahmedabad, India, where I practice, and we had some brainstorming. And I said that if you can make a small set of instruments, a small, very thin telescope, and instruments which I can discuss by and by, uh, I I can I can go in the system, break the stone, and uh, bring out those fragments without the use of baskets or forceps by a kind of uh, fluid dynamics. I call it the whirlpool effect. Uh, just Uh, inject a little bit of saline through a small tube running through the the wall of the, the sheath, and that will produce a small mini whirlpool and bring out the fragments. They move from high pressure zone to the low pressure zone, which is the sheath itself. And all those fragments come out, no baskets, no forceps. And this set was produced by this German manufacturer. And we started doing all this from 2012 onwards. Uh, so this is how the story goes. That's fantastic. And so, what is the size of
0: the ultra mini perk, and and what type of special equipment might one need if they want to embark upon a program utilizing this?
1: Yeah. So the set consists of uh, two sizes of sheath: a thirteen French sheath, which is outer diameter thirteen French, which is this sheath here. Uh, this is the sheath and uh, it is green coded. We also have uh, 11 French sheets, which is 11, which is yellow coded, and which is reserved for pediatric patients. This is for the adult patients. So there is a, a small port here. If you can see the small port, this port is connected to a small tube running in the wall of the sheet. So there is, if you inject saline here, you can have, let me remove the obturator. You can see the, the tube inside. If I inject saline from this port, there will be a small jet coming out here. Uh, I'm already in the system, and this will create a small mini whirlpool inside the kidney. The stones are already broken. There is an inner sheath through which The telescope goes in, the laser goes in, and I will break the stone. There is no dusting required. So I'll go fast by the dusting mode. No high frequency and less energy. It's actually more energy and low frequency, which will produce small fragments, one millimeter size fragments. So a two centimeter stone will be disintegrated in no more than 15 minutes time. You know, it could be a very hard stone, an HU of 1500. In this part of the world, we have stone with an HU of 1500, which is very common. And we can break that stone I push saline through the small port, side port, and bring out the fragments. So, this is the the outer sheath, and this is the inner sheath. The inner sheath is 7.5 French. So, you can understand that there is a big gap of almost 4.5 French between the two sheets, and therefore the intra renal pressures don't rise. And this is my telescope, which is fitted in a sheath. It's a very fragile telescope. So I need to keep it in the sheet. It is one millimeter diameter, 3.5 French precisely, which goes in this sheet and which allows me to have a very nice vision, a 17,000 pixel resolution is what we get through this telescope and which goes in this outer sheet. This is already inside. I have punctured, dilated up till 13 French by Teflon dilators. This sheath is inside. I put the inner sheath inside. The laser fiber goes through this side port here. The irrigation is from here. The camera is attached to the headpiece here. And I break the stone. Once the stone disintegration is complete, I remove the inner sheath and I create that whirlpool effect and bring out the stones. So, this is what UMP is all about. At the end, the bleeding is minuscule. If I feel that, I keep the guide wire in when I remove the outer sheath. If the bleeding has stopped, no, it's a totally tubeless procedure. No nephrostomy, no double J stent. If I still find there is a trickle, we'll put an eight French feeding tube as a nephrostomy for 12 hours. And in the morning, next morning, the nephrostomy is is removed and the patient goes home. So are the stone fragments then evacuated
0: through the sheath? The instrument or through the sheath that is placed in
1: the uh, flank? The sheath that is put in the flank. We, we call it the outer sheath. This is the outer sheath which is already put in the system. So you can call it the implants. This is my implants. Okay. This is my implants And my telescope with the inner sheath has gone through this outer sheath. The stone disintegration is done. And then finally, I create the whirlpool effect by pushing saline through this which goes in through that fine tube which is running inside parallel and which will produce that that mini whirlpool uh, and eddy current which will pull out all the fragments i put a gauze piece here and all the fragments are on the you might have to do it 2 3 times sometimes 4 or 5 times but we recheck at the at the end of everything we'll i'll put the telescope in again and recheck that all the fragments are pulled out or not
0: so those of us who are used to the currently available lithotrites with suction that's already attached, even for the mini perks, you can use the available lithotrites that are commercially available that have suction. How long did it take you to transfer or 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 change your technique of breaking and suctioning simultaneously to utilizing a laser and fragmenting? stopping the fragmentation process and then irrigating out and and kind of, what was that segue like when you did that?
1: I'm extremely happy that you asked this question. Suction is something which is being talked about a lot these days. Imagine you have done a a uh, uh, trans-urethral resection of prostate and uh, you want all those chips to come out. And if you just apply suction, you keep your sheath inside the bladder and you just apply suction on the sheath I can guarantee and tell you all the all the chips are not going to come out. You have to do that ELIC evacuator and create that kind of a eddy current inside the bladder and activate those dormant chips. You bring them in, in that eddy current and then only they are going to be pulled out. So the same thing is happening here. With suction, yes, you will be able to pull out a lot of stone fragments. But remember, whenever you do any procedure on the kidney, the stone has already created a reaction on the mucosa and there is bound to be some bleeding. The stone fragments get caught up in those uh, small clots. They lie uh, in the in the deep part of the calyx and those small fragments will not come out because of suction. And if you increase the power of the suction, the pelvic aliceal system will collapse and will not give you proper vision. So there has to be balance between the inflow and the outflow. It is only when you activate those dormant fragments that they get pulled uh, from that, I would say position of sleeping into the eddy current that we have created and then they come out. This ensures a better stone free rate. When you are doing invasion on the kidney, I think a better stone free rate is, is something which is absolutely essential. Otherwise, ESWL is the best without invasion.
0: I always talk to my patients about stone-free. If I'm going to put them through a procedure such as a PCNL, I think it should be expected for them to be stone-free, but that's a that's another topic we can discuss. How do you see the UMP, the Ultra Mini per? how is it positioned in your practice? Is it used for five centimeter total stone burden? Is it used for the 15 millimeter lower pole? Is it used to replace ureteroscopy or as a competitor to ureteroscopy? Maybe talk us through some of your decision-making process when evaluating patients for stones and where this fits in your practice.
1: So the algorithm that we would follow is stones, Mm -hmm. which are less than 10 millimeters, would qualify for ESWL. Like if I have a stone which is nine millimeters, I would not like myself to be submitted to any invasion. You know, lithotripsy still is here to stay. If the stone is between 10 to 14, 15 millimeters, it is flexiuretroscopy for us. Quick job, uh, you may not put a large sheet 12, 14, a 10, 12 <clears> is good <throat> enough, dust the stone and you come out with a double J tent and you come out, you finish the job in, in say about 50 minutes, 45 to 50 minutes. If the stone is between 15 to 20, 25 millimeters, it would be UMP. The sweet spot for us for UMP is stones uh, 15 to 20 millimeters. That is where we position UMP, uh, where we don't want to overstretch on the flexiuretroscopy, this small puncture. If well done, there is hardly any bleeding. The patient goes home the next day stone free and uh, no major invasion of the standard PCNL. So that is where we would position UMP.
0: And what about the solitary, smaller, lower pole stones, maybe the 10 to 15 millimeter lower pole stones that are solitary, would that also yes. be?
1: Yes. So if there are lower pole stones uh, where we we feel that the angle is very acute, uh, flexi retroscopy is going to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, it's best to do UMP, we do UMP supine as well as prone, more prone, but we do a lot of supine UMPs also. And one good part of supine UMP is that uh, uh, even if you don't uh, do that whirlpool effect, sometimes just by increasing the flow, the fragments start coming out. So uh, for for the lower pole, yes, definitely, even smaller stones would qualify for UMP. And do you find yourself getting access in the upper pole,
0: the middle calices or lower pole, what what is your preferred and maybe what is your most accessed pole or, or location in the kidney when you do these? Let's just say a 20-millimeter renal pelvis stone. Do you like the upper pole? Is it more middle or do you prefer the lower pole?
1: We would like the middle and the lower pole, the upper pole, just because you know sometimes the kidney is positioned higher up and we don't want to go between the 11th, uh, uh, and the 10th rib between the 11th and the 12th, we are okay. But between the 11th and the 10th, sometimes you brush the parent, uh, the pleura, and uh, we would like to avoid that. So, in those situations, uh, well, we would tilt a little bit in favor of flexi because it goes straight up and you start breaking the stone and, and finish the job. So, it's You know, it's balancing everything, the stone size, the position, the the Hounsville unit, uh, and finally, what the patient wants, because sometimes uh, we have a lot of patients coming in from East Africa and the Middle East. They have just um, one week holiday or 10 days holiday, finish the job for me, doctor, and send me back. I have to resume my job. So, you know, it's for them, it's certainly UMB. You, you can't do a, a flexi. And we don't believe in two stage flexi, you know, two times coming in the operating room, two times anesthesia, and then it's actually the third time because you end up putting a double J10. So it is the third time. Uh, it's too much, you know. I mean, I, 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 I completely, completely sure.
0: understand. I, I completely understand.
1: Okay. So, uh, Dr. Desai, there, there is some recent
0: data to suggest actually from very high volume kind of mini-perk specialists in the literature that talk about intrarenal pressure. You alluded to it briefly, but a lot of the data coming out now would suggest that the smaller PCNL sizes are actually creating higher intrarenal pressures. And some high-volume mini-perkists are actually going back to a larger Diameter sheath. How would you address that, and what are your comments in regards to that?
1: Yeah, so I think that's a that's a valid concern, but probably that would arise when you uh, when you take a mini sheet, but the telescope is of a larger. Caliber, you know, you have to keep a gap of minimum four, four point five French between the uh, the inner and the outer sheath. So that would be the minimum gap which allows fluid to escape easily without raising the intrarenal pressure. We did pressure studies before we 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 published our first paper, which came out in the British Journal of Urology, the British BJUI International. So. We did pressure studies, and uh, the pressures remain the same as in the bladder. Now, you don't have to increase the the irrigation. It's just gravity irrigation. You you don't need any pressure pumps. So people who use pressure pumps or who use larger scopes, so that you have better vision and you want to use uh, uh, say ultrasonic device or a pneumatic uh, device to break the stone probably end up with raising the intrarenal pressure in our series we have been we have been very very safe I would say no okay Uh, very
0: good great discussion love the insight I guess what I'd like to close with is you know how small can we get I I know that there exists a uh, I believe it's a A uh, 16-gauge telescope, uh, not French, but gauge uh, with, uh, I think, a seven French uh, sheath and things, and, and they're certainly experimenting with much smaller. How small can we get, and what is the limiting factor to the technology?
1: see we are constantly working on this uh, the 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 german company con- constantly uh, brainstorms with me and uh, we are constantly working on this the trade off is we can definitely the the instrument makers can produce uh, thinner scopes uh, and the laser fibers are 150 microns now so that is possible the thing which is not possible is a better stone free rate. So we have to be constantly aware that when we do any invasion, this whole game is producing a high stone free rate. The patient comes to you and just asks one simple question. Doctor, I come to you to remove my stone and you keep talking about medical jargon that I'm now going to use a flexible scope with a tip on chip and with a platinum wire and with a blah, 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 blah. But I'm going to leave behind a few stone fragments. That is not that is not what the patient wants. You know, A good stone free rates with minimal invasion, with very minimal morbidity is what we want. So as of now, I think uh, it's difficult to go smaller than this. That's uh, what we have realized, but we are working on it. We are working on it.
0: Dr. Desai, it's uh, great stuff. I I, uh, I wish your technology and your skills could be uh, spread globally, and, and uh, I think the patients will be better served. So um, joining us from India, we, we sincerely appreciate your time and your expertise. And uh, on behalf of the Endo Society, Wolf and uh, Marianne Liebert, we thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you so much. If I have to put one uh, sentence to end the talk, uh, I think Please. teach our youngsters the fine art of doing good punctures. You know, don't be shy of doing doing punctures. The whole game has gone too much on the side of flexi because people are afraid of doing punctures. There are there are a lot of uh, departments where the radiologists do the punctures, not the not the urologist. And I'm sure uh, uh, the, the industry also plays a role. The industry makes more money out of flexiuretroscopy than out of PCNL. And of course, I mean, they, they, they are not here for charity. They are here to make money. Uh, but as scientists, uh, we have to decide uh, how to draw our lines. And so the message is teach our youngsters the fine art of doing punctures, and then we'll do better justice to our patients. And I thank you once again for engaging me and Wolf also to create this podcast, which is so very useful for urologists across the world.
0: Very well said. Uh, again, we thank you very much. We look forward to seeing you in person. Thank you. On behalf of uh, Richard Wolf Medical, the Journal of Urology and the Endourological Society, I thank you for listening today and hope you can tune into the next podcast.